Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Think about the value of reconciling 2,000 payments a month into 55 deposits, batch deposits. At the end of the day, it comes down to how much it hurts the owner to not have that being done. More so, like they could care less the fact that it's going to take somebody a hundred hours to figure that out. It's more about like how much is it hurting them. So it's it's truly the value of it. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPS podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Accountants and CPAs have loads of systems running through their tax practice. Perhaps some things must still be done manually, but what if more of your work and your staff's work could be automated? Here today to talk with me about this is my guest, Jason Statz. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, Geraldine. Thanks for having me. Happy you're here. In case people haven't heard of you, give them a quick primer of what you do. Oh, what do I do? Um, I've got a firm in Oregon, a team of about 40. I'm real active on Twitter. I run a YouTube channel and uh, an online community for accounting firms called Realize. So we're going to dig into automation because I think that this is one of your wheelhouses. And I want to talk about for CPA firms, especially for folks who feel like they the technology changes so fast and they just can't keep up. What are firms missing or missing out on when it comes to automation? Oh, what a big question. If there's kind of a, an over the top transition that's happening, I would say it is more bottom-up automation rather than top-down automation. So automation traditionally has been a big organizational decision. We're moving to this, we're moving the whole company to this new system and it'll automate X, Y, and Z. And that's still a thing, but with those big changes come a lot of inertia. There's a lot of effort behind that. It's very high stakes and it only solves the problems that most people have. Whereas I think automation today looks a little more bottom up it's it's automating the very workflow and client specific problems that we have the good news there is more of it i think can be staff led it's not this big like inertia laden organizational decision so i think i think if we focus on oh it's just a matter of changing my practice management system and then we'll be automated i think that kind of misses the point i think it becomes a little more of an organizational opportunity bottom up rather than top down okay so when firms tap into this bottom up, staff can do some of this work. What's possible? What are the impacts of the changes that can be made when you take advantage of what's available? You're freeing your staff. I mean, it's it's kind of what everybody wants, right, is to be higher leverage yourself, but also for your entire team to be 
higher leverage. In my opinion, you plug them into kind of the people and the, the sources of inspiration to learn that stuff. And it's kind of one of the ultimate realizations of being a great manager is you're, you're investing in them at the same time as organizationally building more of a culture of automation. When you kind of have that that sprinkled throughout your team and not everybody's going to be at the same place on that. There's going to be people that take to it really naturally and other people that take where it's more challenging to kind of pick it up. But it's when it becomes part of your culture, you, I think those, those inefficient practices that every business has that can be really frustrating, they stand out a little more because their peers can, you know, maybe help them through that stuff. So it's, it's, I think the, the big upside is it's, it's freeing for your staff but it's also something that compounds. You know, they learn that one thing that gets them over the hump that they're on then, but then what's the next thing? So it's, it's that idea of, of, honestly, I think it's, it's a step change in output from the people who can lean into it. A step change in output from the people who can lean into it. So give us some examples to kind of get this out of the clouds of theory and down onto the ground of what you see some firms successfully automating? Like where have they started? Just just for the people who are perhaps still using adding machines or you know they're kind of behind the curve and they're like, I know I need to do this. What are some simple places that they've started and you've seen success? I think you can start, start really small and start with the things that you spend the bulk of your day on. And so for most people, that's email. Yeah. Keep talking. You, you, you look excited. Yeah. You look that's excited. That's not the answer I was expecting. Yeah. So it's, I mean, start, start with the, I think the unsexy things that you spend most of your time on. And over the last five years, an increasing percentage of the things we get in our inbox every day are coming from robots rather than humans. Yeah. So it is like a Medusa in my inbox. I got to, yeah. it's like a regular project to keep that thing tamed. It's like weeds in my garden after a May rain and then a hot day. It just explodes. Yeah. Every day you get in the inbox, you've got to, you got to throw out all that junk you don't want. Yeah. Inbox rules, I think are the greatest automation hack there is. And almost everyone knows how they work and and what they do. Uh, But I think they're very under leveraged. So think of it through the lens of, you know, first and foremost, what do I actually need to get and get everything out of there that you don't actually need? Second, what's the right destination for that email if it's not you? Because I think there's a lot of like trivial things like archiving that email each day that people just are like, oh, it doesn't take any time. So I'll just do it until the end of time. It actually takes you a lot of time in the end. (laughs) And then third, kind of on the more, I think, cool automation end of the spectrum. um, Something I talk about a lot is, is email parsing and how to pull actionable things out of that email. A very basic example is a bill. Somebody gets a bill in their inbox every month uh, from an IT company. You know where that needs to go every time. Maybe that just goes, maybe you just forward that straight into the bill pay system. Maybe that's a shared IT bill across five companies. And what you can actually do is set up a inbox rule that forwards that to something like Zapier and posts an entry to five different accounting files. I think a, a great place to start thinking about automation is email because that's the source of so much of what takes up our days, but that's probably a good place to start. I think. Holy smokes. Okay. This brings up the episode that you did with, I forget you got into a conversation about how to manage your notifications and how to only get the information that you really want to have. 
and your co-host was talking about how it's like, I only want family emergency stuff. So how do I turn off everything else that's not family emergency? But it was really hard to set up those filters. After having had that conversation, what are some guidelines for how to tame the notification madness, but still allow through the stuff you actually want? Yeah, notifications. Are, and, and so many of the tools we use don't give us enough flexibility to tailor those notifications in the way that we want. And so there's definitely value in doing a little bit of that yourself. Honestly, I think all communication by default should be opt-in. Um, I don't think anybody ought to have the right to call you if you don't know who they are and you didn't opt into it to email you, but they do anyways, right? Same applies for notifications. So I think you can approach every app and tool that you use through the lens of, I get to decide here are the things that I want to know about. And it, you know, it's not, it's not app let it's me let. And some apps will let you tailor things enough to actually get you just what you want. But oftentimes it's not through the channel you want. Like email for me is not an urgent thing. Email is something I open for about a half hour once a day. And that's not my urgent channel. Oftentimes they won't let you tailor those notifications to just get you what you want. But even more frequently, it won't come through the channel that you actually want it to come through. But then you've also got things where it's like, if this comes up, that's urgent. If this other thing comes up, it's not urgent. One thing that we do is we lean into email aliases. For example, let's say you're using a project management system that just inundates everyone with notifications. Rather than everyone getting spammed with notifications, oftentimes the same notifications all day long, we will set up a service account and route notifications for anything and everything through that email alias and then set up inbox rules to grab just the things that we want to actually go out. Maybe that goes out via email to that one person, or maybe it gets posted to a Slack channel that three people have access to and they need to see that. Um, similarly to how so many more of our emails are now machine generated, uh, notifications I think you can kind of take back control of and get a little more granular with and just like just opt into the stuff that you actually that you absolutely need rather than the default being getting anything and everything, right? Yeah, I mean, I just started using ClickUp and I get like 40 emails a day from ClickUp. ClickUp is the worst at that. I, we use it too, yeah. <laughs> and I just haven't had a moment to go in there to be like, all right, ClickUp, you're going off to your separate label and skipping the inbox. Well, and is the email inbox even the right place for practice management system notifications, right? Like I think of email as my external communication platform. So like there's, yeah, there's a lot of nuance there, I think. Yeah, well, I actually requested that I stop receiving notifications from ClickUp because I was like, the point is to go and click up. Yeah. <laughs> get emails yeah. from ClickUp. So anyways, let's see. I'm trying to get in the mind of the listener and who's like, yeah, email is a total pain in the butt. But I was really hoping that Jason Stats would come on and talk to me about some sexy automations in the accounting space. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do a lot of work with Dental clinics, a common pain point for dental clinics is reconciling those end of day deposits. It's actually the greatest source of theft too, is tying out your practice management system, which has all this sensitive HIPAA information to what comes through the bank. So are you gonna give your admin access to the bank to tie out all the patient deposits? Probably not. We've, we do a, a whole bunch of dental clinics, they all have the same problem. And so we actually set something up in Airtable that was kind of a, a custom build where we pull in all the bank deposits, just like a bank download, 
we pull in all of the end of day deposits and we've got a little script that runs down through both of those things and matches them all up. It basically does this like recursive thing where it tries to find all of the possible combinations of those payments and do they tie out to that batch deposit? Like it, it kind of does this thing where it, it tries to match all those things up. That grew into like a five or $6,000 a month a new service that like combined across all the clinics we were doing it for like within six to 12 months. And I think it's a great example of automation leading your service line. So it's something that we got into because we would automate it, whereas we may not have otherwise gotten into that. Automation leading your service line. Go back to five to $6,000 a month for just that management piece alone or the entire monthly fee for the dental practice includes the automation of that recursive script in our table. Just that bit. So we started doing it for over 30 clinics. This was like an, an add-on service that we could do for them that solved a pain point that they had. Uh, somebody had to do it and it was a big pain because they're doing it manually. I mean, you get 100 payments in a month and you got to match that up with 25 deposits and there's cash payments and, and card payments and like everybody knows what a pain that is or it just wasn't getting done. So it was really an inexpensive way to make sure or to, to at least decrease the risk of somebody stealing from you, making sure you're getting paid what you're supposed to. And so that was something that honestly, we, we, we had been able to automate probably 80% of, and then we have our offshore team handle the last 20% or so. And then we report any exceptions back to the client. How did you stumble across this problem? Did you have a sense that it existed because you had the clients already and you were like, why are they doing it this way? Did you incorporate the automation into the service first and then go, oh, wait a minute, we could do this as a standalone thing and then branch it off and sell it as a standalone? Like what was the evolution of that whole process? Dental clinics get stolen from a lot, a shocking amount. It's one of those things where nobody talks about it so you don't realize how much it happens, but there's so much theft that happens really in a lot of small businesses, but dental, dental clinics definitely aren't exempt from that. So uh, several, we had several clients who they had issues with theft and this kind of recurring issue that kept coming up. And we were like, <laughs> uh, you're not ready to pay for how much work that's going to be for your accountant to, to actually tie every single one of these payments out. And I mean, the small clinics, maybe they have 50 payments a month and the bigger ones have thousands. Uh, and to tie that out to these batch deposits where everybody's using different practice management systems, different payment gateways. So it's like, it's not like going out and grabbing like an A2X that's going to tie out my Shopify. Like everybody's on different systems. So uh, we knew it was a problem and it wasn't really until we we came around to, hey, here's a way we could potentially automate this um, with, I've got a buddy that's a developer that that took maybe 15 minutes of his time to write this script for us. And you could, I mean, you could find somebody on Upwork to do the same thing for 20 bucks and we can reuse that exact same thing across all these engagements. And so we're like, we're like, okay, this is now all of a sudden something that we can kind of copy paste and do for a whole bunch of people in a profitable way. Whereas previously it would have been way too much work. And if they go out and they, most of these people were doing accounting services for, they go out and they like ask their bookkeeper to do it. The bookkeeper's going to be like, you know, that's outrageous. I can do it for you, but I'm going to charge you thousands of dollars a month. Okay. So your buddy writes the snippet of code in 15 minutes and then you test it out on a couple of clients. And then what? We said, let's do this with more clients. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you, how did you get to the price for it? 
right? Because I mean, in the accounting space, they'd be like, well, crap, I'm not actually doing any work. So how do I bill for it? It's probably like, I don't know, 250 bucks a month. Uh, guess and checks. And it's actually different for, you know, different sizes of clinics. So if you've got a clinic that has 2000 payments a month to reconcile into 25, I guess, I guess they're getting a, a cash and a card deposit every day. So think about the value of reconciling 2000 payments a month into 55 deposits, batch deposits. I don't know, pick a number. At the end of the day, it comes down to how much it hurts the owner to not have that being done. More so, like they could care less the fact that it's gonna take somebody 100 hours to figure that out. It's more about like, well, how much is it hurting them? So it's, it's truly the value of it. So it's some guessing and checking for sure. Uh, it's how risk averse they are. Are they spooked about being stolen from? Cause it helps with that too. But yeah, we kind of, we as much as possible, we kind of approach those conversations one by one and kind of get a sense for where they're at and what the volume is and, and set it accordingly. Do you have dental practices who take you up on this feature alone? Can they buy this as a standalone service without the rest of it? If we were better at marketing, we, yeah, we absolutely should. Um, I think it's a, I think it's actually a great way to attract people and a good example of that right now is R&D credits and obviously ERC credits which has gotten really really scammy but there's a lot of groups who want to work with startups and the way in the door is R&D credits because virtually all software startups are eligible for R&D credits and that's that's like that's the landing page that's the hook is on average we get people x thousands of dollars back but then you see, oh, they actually do bookkeeping services. So I think if you have something like this, you can kind of anchor your business around. It's a great way to get in front of more people. And then once you got them in the door, because I mean, the hard thing is just getting them, in the, getting them in the door and just getting through the noise of all the inbound that these business owners get. And once you've got them in the door, if they're having a good experience, they're like, absolutely, I would happily have you do this other thing and that other thing. And, and so it's, it's absolutely something you could build marketing around. If there's an accountant who's thinking, goodness, I really need to be automating some things, what do they need to be thinking about first or what do they need to have in place first so that they don't do it badly? How do you see it go sideways or wrong? A lack of kind of peer validation. Like I, I used to do this stuff in a vacuum and I, I thought it was really cool and I would do it for myself. I didn't know anybody else that did it. And it's the first thing that brought me to Twitter. So I'm like, you know what, if there's like 10,000 10, other people doing the same thing and you're not putting yourself out there and talking about what you're doing, there's this implicit assumption that you, you're at the top of the mountain and you know better than all those people, right? About all things. And that seems unlikely. So like the best way to learn on this stuff is to surround yourself with a bunch of other people that are learning on this stuff. Because if I can see what, if I'm thinking about doing thing X, you know, Making a mobile app for a client. That's something I'm really hot on right now because you can actually make mobile apps in like five minutes. It's shockingly simple. If I'm thinking about productizing this and selling it to a client, wouldn't it be great if I could talk to 10 other people who have already done the same thing before and shave about 12 months off my learning process? And so I think just like anything else, if you can surround yourself with people who are at varying levels of the same journey, like that's just gonna accelerate your learning so much. So for folks who aren't quite ready to think about the example that you have with the dentist, they're like, ooh, I think I'm not ready to start there. What are some of the more accounting, like baseline accounting automations that would be low hanging fruit to implement? You know, for the folks who are not following Zappier on Instagram. 
So I so I did a really funny thing on Twitter the other day. I thought it was funny. It annoyed some people. So I manipulated the UI of QuickBooks Online to add an automations button on the left-hand navigation. And so I had this like this video and there was there's this big awesome automations button on the left-hand side like right under banking or something like that. And the first tweet in the thread was just got alpha access to a big new release from QuickBooks. Check this out. It's not a real thing. I, I had doctored it and then proceeded to do a whole thread uh, on how to build like these automations within a QuickBooks file. And more and more apps are doing this. They have these built-in automations. ClickUp's a great example of an app that does this really well now. You can set these if this, then that, like kind of triggers and actions all from inside a ClickUp. And the idea was, what if QuickBooks did this? Everybody'd be super interested, right? Like ever, they'd be like, sweet, and they'd probably take the time to learn it and get into it. Well, all I did was with each tweet, I just like, so Make is an automation platform kind of like Zapier. I just embedded the Make UI into QuickBooks' UI in each of those tweets, and I was like, here's how to build this. And at the end, I was like, yeah, no, sorry, this actually isn't a QuickBooks thing, but I just tricked you into building your first, you know, automation for a QuickBooks file. Uh, and I, I think because people don't autom- don't identify as like automation enthusiasts, they're accountants, right? They don't they don't do this stuff. Yeah, they, they don't think it's for them. Yeah, but it really is pretty easy right now. So I think the best way to think about where to start, especially if you do a lot of accounting, is what could you just automate inside of a single accounting file? So a a really common scenario where you have these kind of chaining, this thing happens, so these five other things need to happen is when you have related companies uh, or a company with a bunch of subsidiaries. So they create all these intercompany transactions, stuff like that. And we had the the example of the IT bill that comes through via email. We do a lot of stuff with company groups and man alive, there are so many interrelated things that happen between those company groups where maybe one company gets billed for something and then they pass through a portion of those charges to other related companies. Uh, you can do things as simple as Create a trigger. You can do this with this app. So you point it to a QuickBooks file. Maybe it's the parent company QuickBooks file. Anytime there's a new bill to this utility company, it triggers the zap. Maybe you've got five other companies that split that bill that share space or something like that. So the subsequent actions then are in that different QuickBooks file for the subsidiary, create a bill back to the parent company. Uh, Maybe push out that bill via email to the person that will actually move the money, that sort of thing. The only other way you could get that sort of kind of interconnectedness between accounting files is if you're going up market and spending tens of thousands of dollars on a more like mid-market accounting suite like Intact or something like that. So for me, I think a good way to to start thinking about it is what are the kind of interconnected things happening within an accounting file? And how do I chain follow-on actions on something that happens every single month so that every month I'm saving myself a bit of time? I love it. Okay, I want to take a right-hand turn here for the last few minutes and talk about your online community. There's a lot of buzz about the subscription business model. And there's I had this conversation with Mark Stiving, who's a pricing expert on his podcast, about whether or not monthly accounting services is subscription. I won't go there at the moment, but what I said was what's not happening is high margin 
subscription services for connections to community, for access to expertise, stuff like that. It's a little bit happening, but it's sort of the only the front runners really are, are doing anything like that in the accounting space. You have an online community for accountants, accounting firms. Can you tell us, for folks who don't know about it, what that's about? When I kind of came out of my cave of doing my own thing and realized I've actually got a lot to learn from other people, the most powerful moments for me were always when I was able to sit down with a bunch of other people that run firms similar to mine and hear the things they've already tried, the stuff that worked, the stuff that didn't work. Because I had made several big organizational decisions that were those kind of top-down, high inertia, so hard sort of things. And then you realize two years down the road, it was the wrong decision. And I got to the point where it's like, you know, virtually any amount of investment that will ensure that I don't make that wrong decision again is worthwhile. And at the time, I would make those decisions based on what the salespeople told me, which is just asinine. Like like they're incentivized to close whatever, right? And so I think in your decision-making feedback loop, you need to have trusted peers. I think you need to have an external coach, honestly, who can who can give you honest feedback that isn't subject to the group think that you have within a firm. But I think you also need to validate your decision-making with peers because there's nothing new under the sun. Every firm is different. There's a lot of nuance there. But if you could pose that question to people who have already done it and share what works and what doesn't work, I mean, like that that's just so incredibly valuable. And so when I got active on Twitter... That was super valuable. There's a lot of knowledge sharing there. But what I was missing was kind of a private space to go a little deeper, like actually share like live client setup, like show me what you're actually doing. I didn't have a forum for that. So I just made it. And I said, is anybody else into this? And they were. And that was kind of the the foundation of Realize. It's it's not a educational community. Like it's not a paywall to get access to Jason content or, or even me necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's the whole premise is let's make a bunch of peer connections. Uh, you know, the group's big enough now to where we can make some high context connections around people that run, that are doing things very similar to you. The whole premise of that community stemmed from, boy, it sure seems like we're all doing a lot of the same things in parallel and not talking about it and not sharing experiences. And so it's, to enable that is to give people permission. Honestly, people don't feel like they have permission to really like ask that of other firm owners and like, is that okay? Are they comfortable with it? And so it's it's become this really cool space where people are sharing stuff and, you know, the example of me making the wrong decision and it costing probably two years, I was like, absolutely anything I can do to prevent that from happening again is worth it. And so that I, I mean, I'm biased, but I think the people in that community are growing crazy fast as a result. The opportunity that I see a lot for accountants is, and one that I think that they underappreciate, is the value of being able to connect business owners who are in similar places on their journey. And one of the re- one of the many reasons I am such a huge proponent of positioning and niching because you're going to create a cri- you're going to create a client roster one way or another. You might as well create the one that has latent value in it because of the connections that you can make between your business owning clients and do the exact same thing for your clients as you're talking about for the people in your group, helping them accelerate their journey because they don't face plant 
as often or as hard by making decisions that didn't pan out the way they thought they would. So how much, let me just ask you, how much time and effort do you put into that community? Uh, I don't know, a, pr- a pretty good portion. That being said, you know, the, the worst version of a community is is something that just a single person is driving. So there's a bunch of smart people in there running sessions. There's like two months left in the in the year and we've got something like 27 live sessions between now and the end of the year. So people like Niall Carter-Gray are in there running sessions, Rachel Fish, Brandon Hall, Chad Davis on no-code automation. I'm running a few sessions myself. We're doing AMAs with, you know, smart external people. We're doing, maybe my favorite events are the the show me your style events, which is uh, <laughs> where everybody comes in and it's like, show me your canopy setup. Show me your carbon setup. Show me how you do renewal. Show me your client communication plans. It's just a bunch of people, like it's as simple as coming in seeing what a whole bunch of other people are doing. And there's like, there's sensitive information there. So these, yeah. these are the kind of the only sessions we can't record. Yeah. Uh, but you come away and like the result is what you're going to do is kind of pulling the best bits and pieces from all these and making it yours. And like, they're just always so motivating and like they give you so much confidence because you feel like you're kind of, I don't know, piecing together the best of the best. So I, it's definitely not just a me thing. I'm, I try to, I try to pull in people who are smarter than myself, and it's more of a collective trying to push that stuff forward. I love it. So much value in those connections and working with talking to people who are in similar places and struggling with the same kinds of things. Jason Stats, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. You bet. This is great. Thanks for having me. To find out more about Jason, there are links in the show notes to his podcast, his YouTube channel, his Twitter handle, and his paid community. If you're ready to get your time back, be sure to subscribe to my daily newsletter. You'll learn how to pick who you want to work with, decide what problems you'll solve for them, and then design your packages and choose your prices so you can stop working all the time and enjoy the other parts of your life. You can subscribe at GeraldineCarter.com forward slash subscribe. Have an amazing week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.